welcome Pudding People to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, Richard? Uh, chilly, but doing okay. <laughs> well, you know, a good studio has to be temperature controlled. <laughs> yeah, low humidity, um, sound absorbing. <laughs> 30 degrees is a good good i think watermark for what it should be inside a studio Absol- absolutely uh, uh keep you nice and attentive until you nod off and uh ex- you know get hypothermia or something <laughs> yes as long as my organs are being heated and maintained i'll be alive exactly well we are ecstatic to be back with you this week we have another installment in our history of comic book movies. Now we've been doing this for a little while, almost since the uh, beginning of the channel. And we've been plodding our way all the way from uh, the early 1900s on up to today. And we are now to 2013. We're getting so close to getting caught up to current day. Um, As a reminder to those out there, in order to be a comic book movie that counts On this particular list, the source material had to have been a comic before it was ever in radio or television. It could have been a book before it was a comic or a myth or something like that. That's just fine. The comic of origin generally has to be in English or at the very least translated to English before the movie is released. So really awesome films like Snowpiercer don't count because they didn't get an English translation until after the movie was released. Um, you know, you know, there are other little snippets here and there. We're largely ignoring comic strips, but we are including graphic novels. So this leaves us open to all sorts of really cool stuff. Are you excited for the 2013 jaunt, Richard? There are some good picture shows in 2013. A good, a good number of them. Uh, so many of them that, of course, we will not be able to cover all of them in one episode but we will hit some highlights maybe some low lights in this episode and we'll have to be continued on in a future time for the remainder of 2013 definitely uh there's there's such a range we've got stuff from the mcu that's occurring in 2013 obviously we get the very early gestations of what is attempted to be as the DC extended universe. We get uh, little uh, bits and pieces of uh, continuations of uh, popular movie franchises and attempt to um, a, an attempt to do some fun little one shots here and there. Uh, you know, just you know, a nice mixed bag. Some of it very serious. Some of it the normal tights and capes things. So all sorts of stuff. So let's start with the easy things. We're, our goal in this first episode is to get some of the stuff out of the way that neither of us have ever seen and uh, just you know make a couple of uh, comments here and there about it. So let's start with the easiest thing that not only I expect neither of us have ever seen, I would wager that the vast majority of everyone has never seen. Uh, a short film, four minutes long. <laughs> when I say short film, it's really short called The Guai, was released in 2013. Now, The Guai is uh, is kind of an, a, a slightly different thing. If I remember correctly, this was 
based off of a digital comic, but uh, it's uh, out of something called the, Ar uh, the Arcana Kids, um, done by Grant Chastain and Sean O'Reilly. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, it looks to me, from what I can tell, to be like gremlins, kind of. So, two men encounter some Canadian mythological creatures in the woods. Maybe it's like Fallout 4, Yaogwai. <laughs> exactly. No clue. Uh, I don't really recognize the voice actors, unfortunately, and I'm not completely familiar with the director, but the director, Sean, pa uh, Sean Patrick O'Reilly, um, I mean, clearly a comic book fan. So um, I recognize some of the other stuff that he has done. Uh, produced quite a lot of stuff, really. Um so, I mean, it's, it could be pretty neat. And when you get these, that's the thing. Some of these little shorts can have such just personality to them. I mean, that's why Pixar does those little short films so often, just because they give you, it's long enough to get a taste and a feel and just kind of leaves you with an emotional reaction very, very quickly. And it's, it's kind of like an Andy's mint after a meal. A good little, uh, almost like a pet project in a certain sense where you have an idea and it can be best expressed in something real quick and easy, but presented in a nice fashion where everything looks good. The story is concise and you can be done with it. Exactly. Um, to that effect, we're going to go straight into the next one that uh, a lot of people have not seen. Now, this is based actually on a Marvel character that we've talked a little bit about. In fact, we've reviewed a movie about this character, a full-length feature film that came out a number of years after the short did. But uh, technically, this came first. So this is Venom Truth in Journalism. Another short. This one's still less than 20 minutes long. Um, it, uh, it was, uh, based obviously on the Venom character, which showed up first in the amazing Spider-Man created by Todd McFarlane and David Michelini. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a character that's had an immense amount of staying power. Very interesting backstory started as a standard villain, worked its way into being kind of an anti-hero, um, and one of the big Marvel storylines right now is all wrapped up in uh, the origins of the, the symbiotes. So uh, kind of a neat thing. The director of the film, uh, Joe Lynch, um, again, kind of if you look at his stuff that he does, it seems to be a lot of uh, B-movies, um, that sort of thing. Um but uh, they look like a lot of fun. I mean, just uh, just like a lot of silliness and goodness. And yeah, I, I mean, he he's had some big ones too. I mean, he's the Knights of Badastum uh, was one of the ones that he's directed, and uh, I watched that, and that was very enjoyable. So I have a, a feeling that uh, this probably would be as well. Yeah, the actor who plays Eddie Brock is Ryan Quanton, and he was in True Blood, so that's where I remember him from. And I guess, you know, because you love people from Canada, and I love people from Australia. This, <laughs> he's from Australia, by the way. So, um, 
but I do recognize him. And it says in some of the snippets of the information, uh, it's revealed that it takes place in the Marvel universe uh, in some form or fashion, but not really. Right. Yeah. That gives a little bit of artistic license. And right. I'm sure it was just fun. When it's a short like this, it doesn't bother me that it's not in con- uh, in continuity. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. It looks like it'd be a lot of fun. And then the last kind of short out of 2013, there was a Marvel one-shot. Uh, Agent Carter had a short in 2013 before the television show appeared. And... I just have to say that, uh, I mean, it's pretty pretty obvious that Haley Atwell could um, bring the, the star power to be able to do a show or uh, a movie. He, she's just got uh, a great deal of um, a great deal of acting chops and she's got great stage presence. And uh, I really enjoyed the show. I didn't get to see this particular one shot, but the show was so much fun. Um, she will be in the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh, really? Yes. Um, she's been in a couple things. I want to say there was like a couple Showtime shows that she was in long ago when she was kind of getting her, oh, not her start, but, you know, when she was kind of becoming a little bit more popular. Oh, what was the name of that show? Not The Duchess. It was a different one. But she's been in a lot of stuff, right? So yeah. She's taken her, she's worked her way from the, I guess you could say, from the bottom up, doing the little bits and pieces of things. and. Yeah, the Duchess, Best Foster. Uh, the Pillars of the Earth, that's what it was. Oh, fun. That's what I, that's what I first saw her in. Oh, I see that she was in the TV miniseries Howard's End. I think that, uh. I think that was on my list of things that I was going to watch and I completely forgot about it. I have way too many things on my list. I never get to everything. It just, uh, I'm just going to be sad. Uh, that's, that's what my, uh, at my funeral, it's just going to be a list. These were all the shows that he intended to watch and never got to. And they're just scrolls, the fast scroll on a TV screen. <laughs> Alphabetical order. Exactly. Oh man. So those are kind of the, the short films that were released in 2013 that were based on comics. You know, looks like just fun stuff all around. Uh, but let's get to a, a full-length theatrical film. Uh, and I'm not entirely certain if this first one was technically theatrical. If it was theatrical, I'm, I'm guessing it was a limited release. Uh, it feels much more like a direct-to-video or direct-to-streaming um, <laughs> than anything else. We've actually talked a little bit about... Um, about some of the other films that this particular filmmaker created. Yeah, so this was direct direct uh, DVD. We're talking about Captain Battle Legacy War. Um, now, this was uh, based out of, the characters based out of Silver Street comics, basically, back in 1941, believe it or not. Um, but uh, Frank Borth and George Mandel... Uh, and uh, Dennis Neville and Jack Warren and Kermit Jitiker and Nathaniel Nitkin uh, were all involved in the creation uh, of some of those older uh, comics. Now, how faithful they were in this film to those comics, uh, no clue. 
Um, it still feels more like it's just taking advantage of uh, Captain America and trying to make a, as, as quick a buck off of it in as cheesy and fun a way as possible. If you've never heard of this film and you take a look at it, the, it's all right in the, in, the, in the front of the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. Uh, you've got what looks like an amalgamation between Captain America and Nick Fury. So give Captain America uh, the old shield and an eye patch. <laughs> and he's standing in front of yeah, somebody that's very clearly supposed to kind of look funny. like Black Widow. And is that the red skull? Well, it's not a skull. It's a, the red face. He's, he's just standing in front of the red face. <laughs> and he's like a Nazi figure. From what I can tell, yeah, yeah. So definitely World War Two era, and is that is is that a good? Is that a hero? It's like Black Widow, but like not. As far as I can tell, I mean, that, it seems very clearly to uh, to just as closely as they can just bite directly off of uh, off the Marvel stuff. So if they can get an a close approximation to the characters that people find popular. There, there's probably a representation somewhere in the film. I really want to see this because it looks like that again. That just it's cheesy and bad, but in a fun way, uh, like Mystery Science three thousand, making fun of it uh, as you're watching it. Uh, it's just a good time, but not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting uh, I'm getting the feeling that my co-host may not be on board with watching these. <laughs> it's only going to be good if the amazing bulk comes to save the day. Oh, good lord! Yeah, that's. I, I really I, I'm so curious. I, I have to see this at some point. I will definitely do it. But uh, I'll I'll be on the lookout for Sam Battle. <laughs> Captain Battle Legacy War. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, okay. So we've gotten through a few that we haven't seen. Let's let let's actually be able to talk about something that we have. Um, this is a sequel. Uh, we've talked about the first film already. Uh, I know I expressed that I uh, enjoyed it. Uh, I, I probably said something along the lines that I enjoyed it more than I thought I would which I don't know how that's possible considering the ensemble cast that they have is freaking phenomenal. Um, but uh, the movie in question that we were talking about is Red 2. Uh, sequel to the movie based off of the graphic novel, uh, or graphic novel, but uh, the comic series. I mean, I believe it's Image was the uh, original series. Um, uh, but... Uh, yeah, you're the original movie was good, and and but you you bring up a good point. Surprisingly good, uh, the cast the cast is phenomenal in in both of these. And when you look at the big action stars and you think the production on these, you're like, wow, why wouldn't you think this movie would be good? But I I I, I feel like maybe it just kind of went under the radar, maybe. you know, and. I don't know if people just didn't pay attention enough to it or it didn't get the ad space. And so you're just like, oh, th there's a movie with all these people together. Well, that should be pretty good, right? I mean, how could it not? Yeah. 
But I mean, he's, he's done some other movies. I mean, he did uh, Fun with Dick and Jane, which I thought was okay. Um, Galaxy Quest, which was super fun. That's one of my favorites in terms of uh, uh, addressing some some of the way we look at uh, science fiction and, and uh, kind of lampooning it a bit. Um, and of course, you're talking about the director. For yes. This movie. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Uh, I always think director first. Uh, start at the top, work my way down. Um, but uh, Dean Pariseau, Parasot. I'm going. I'm going to go with Pariseau because that uh, it seems French. Yes, agreed. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Bruce Willis, John Malkovich. Helen Mirren. I mean, this is this is pre-CVS non-mask-wearing Bruce Willis. Yeah, this is um, he, <laughs> the director's got some really good TV credits, and then he most recently did Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah, yeah, we had a chance to interview somebody that was in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this this cast is is crazy. I mean, they brought in Catherine Zeta Jones, which is the classic Ocean's Twelve move to do. You have a successful first film, then you bring in Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ray Liotta, I I mean Neil McDonough. Hey, don't make too much fun of me. Uh, <laughs> my brain doesn't always work right. You have to be nice to me. It's somewhere in our hey, contract. Neil's. Uh... Busy man working in all these movies. Yeah, he is. And he was great in this film, but, but that's not surprising because he's great in everything I've ever seen yep. him in. Um, I, I still, it's kind of, to me, an underrated film because who would go who would go see it thinking that they wanted to see a high-quality film because it's got The Rock in it early in his film career. But uh, Walking Tall um, had both The Rock and uh, Neil McDonough in it. And Neil, Neil McDonough is the bad guy. Yeah, and he did great. He was so good in that film. Uh, the whole thing worked because of how good he was. Um, yeah, just kind of awesome. John Malkovich. He's a, he's a band of brothers um, actor. That's my first kind of exposure to seeing him. And he's done so many things after that that it's hard to believe that he was like a major character in that 24 years ago or however long. It's almost like he doesn't 20, age. 20 years ago, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, you know, the thing, and of course, Brian Cox, I mean, he's generally pretty pretty awesome in anything. I mean, a lot of people will think about uh, uh, the Bourne series when they think about Brian Cox. That may be where he kind of sticks out for a lot of people. But um, X2. Yeah, well... <laughs> I don't know if he'll stick out for a good reason for that one, but uh, yeah. um, so the thing that gets me with these ensemble casts, you know, we've talked to a number of actors and actresses now, and you know, most of them are pretty down to earth people, but you know, I've heard some stories about certain individuals that have let let us say a, an ego. Uh, to go with it. And I, and I got to wonder what you do to kind of deal with that. I mean, I've, I've heard some of uh, say Kevin Smith talking about working with one of these actors and the difficulties therein. 
Um, and I have to wonder what what it's like, not only from the director side, but from the actor side. Sometimes, I mean, it, it may not even be ego. Just it's like differences in personality. Everybody wants to be professional, but, I mean, we're all human. So how do you not let your emotional baggage weigh you down uh, as you're trying to put these scenes together with someone that you may not like for whatever reason? Yes, and and ego is big as a planet. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, I mean th- this this whole group. Oh, and uh, Lee Byung Hun, he was fantastic in this film. He'd had some some great uh, some great scenes. Um, I I'm not as familiar with some of his stuff before this, but I definitely dug into it afterwards, and he. He has some some really interesting uh, choreography and a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Um, He's Storm Shadow. You know, Storm Shadow wildly Shadow's... successful GI Joe right. movie. Isn't Storm Shadow getting uh, his own? Sp- no, it wasn't uh, Snake Eyes getting his own Snake spinoff. Eyes, yeah. Well, if Snake Eyes is getting a spinoff, Storm Shadow has to be in the spinoff. Storm Shadow, yeah, got to be there. But uh, yeah, so Red 2, the plot was solid. I mean, it picks up pretty well where the other movie left off. And they do a good job uh, kind of um, wedging in some character development that happens between the two films, especially for uh, the character Sarah done by Mary Louise Parker and adjusting to living with somebody that was in the kind of a espionage world and and changing who they are and how they live together and then uh you know john malkovich is john malkovich uh he got to be very very much crazy in the film but you know they did they did uh they did a decent job the thing i liked about the second film a lot of times you try and ramp up well the first film was this now we need to make dial it up to 11 it's got to be bigger it doesn't necessarily have to be bigger it just has to be good and I and mm. I feel that they did that with this. I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, the stakes were raised. No, it's just a different story told with interesting characters. And a jam-packed lobby of people. Right. Exactly. Uh, now, before we get to our last two films that we're going to discuss, I would like to remind our dear listeners that we are easily available on social media. We are at Real Pudding Guys on Twitter. We're at Pudding Guys on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, anything else that we do, we try and be that particular interface, including uh, on Patreon, where for $1 per month, you can help support the Pudding Guys as we bring you new people to talk to, new things to talk about, new things to talk into. A lot of talking, really. Uh, And that talking, that costs money. (laughs) It's free. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, but we've got some pretty interesting things coming. I, I've been talking about this for a while. My, I'm, I'm working my hardest to see if I can get it in progress in March. I want it to be the beginning of March. Who knows if that's going to be possible. There's so many working gears what we're going to do. But I'm hoping that sometime March, maybe April at the latest, uh, we will get this uh, 
this new project up, and I'm so excited to tell everybody about it. I kind of want to tell people about it right now, but I know I would be uh, probably uh, chastised greatly by our technical expert that is helping me with this. So until then, just kind of imagine how much fun you're going to have really soon with the pudding guys. All right, well, let's get back to it. Let's let's have some more Marvel fun. Uh, get out of homage and into uh, into Marvel. So, who is your favorite Canadian superhero? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Try and make it easier. I was going to go with Vindicator, but you know. Uh, <laughs> but, well, what's everyone else's favorite? Probably, um, ooh, who, who's, who's with Vindicator? Isn't there like, um, oh, that's, that's Alpha. Alpha Flight. Uh, Alpha Flight, yes. Yeah, Sasquatch the, and Box. Sasquatch, yes. That's what I was thinking, Sasquatch. Everybody's <laughs> favorite Canadian. <laughs> now, obviously what we're making jokes about and alluding to is the Wolverine, Canada's short and stocky claw uh, claw wielding, uh, angsty, uh, drunk cigarette or cigar smoking, uh, X man, <laughs> sort of. Uh, who can say the word bub a lot? Yeah, yeah, that's part of one of my favorite little, uh, little things in the original Baldur's Gate game. Uh, as you're wandering through the wilderness, you can run into a ranger that talks exactly like Wolverine, and his name is Bub Snicket. <laughs> which is great <laughs> but Go the wrong way down this path bub yeah it's, it's it's great stuff now at this point the wolverine character had been in four movies um the uh original x-men trilogy as well as uh, x-men origins wolverine and we've talked about this before i know for me i love the first x-men movie i really like the second x-men movie I was saddened greatly by the third X-Men movie, but I knew it couldn't get any worse until I saw Wolverine Origins and <laughs> liked some parts, but mostly it was just nauseating. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Now, from what I understand, this particular film, The Wolverine, did a good job in starting to redeem the character. I know you've seen this. This is one of the ones I've I've haven't had a chance to see yet. What were your impressions of this film? Well, in in terms of the characters that are in here, you mentioned we were talking about this briefly. The they they go to they go to Japan. And the bad guy is, I guess you could say, the quote bad guy in the finale of the movie. And what you see in the commercials is the Silver Samurai. And you had indicated the Silver Samurai is one of your favorites. So how do you present that Silver Samurai character in a, a real world type of scenario? Now, do you want me to do spoilery things since you haven't seen it? No, you go You or... go ahead. Uh, list whatever you need. I will still probably enjoy it when I watch it. So it, it kind of starts off because Wolverine and, and you got you got a snippet of this in the um, Origins movie, right? Where 
he uh no you didn't get in the origins movie you you got it where it showed a bunch of clips of him as he got older right and they're going through different wars with the, the saber tooth character that obviously yeah that wasn't yeah that was an origins that wasn't is at the very so beginning you that's right yes so you get through all those and it shows he's been in this war and this war and this war okay well the origin of this story is from one of the wars that he was in so in world war ii of course the united states dropped an atomic bomb and wiped out a whole bunch of people well he saved somebody in that scenario in that in that atomic bomb so that led to different diverging paths of the person that he saved and then wolverine and those paths meet back up not necessarily by chance but because the person that he saved knew the type of powers that wolverine had and he wanted to get those types of powers for himself so there is like the convergence of the beginning and then the middle and the end of the story. And it's pretty good. You, you see a couple different characters and you see they did something to Wolverine so that he stops healing. And you got to figure out what's going on with the character. And it's just about a, it's kind of a story about him going through some rough times and rediscovering things and kind of be, being more down to earth. But then coming back at the end to save the day because that's what he does the the silver samurai character is basically just a big mech oh that's mildly disappointing uh though truthfully how are you really going to present a guy in giant uh shiny silver armor (laughs) with a samurai sword uh problematic yeah yes well now the one character i'm not exactly familiar with who is in here was um viper Mm -hmm. and in this particular character presentation um manipulative via like the 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 stuff from her spit Mm -hmm. she has um so uh if if my memory serves viper in the comics was an agent of hydra um uh one of those organizations i'm pretty sure it was hydra uh, and you know, the all green, get up green lipstick, uh, the, the classic femme fatale sort of thing. She can poison you and likes to do so through the lipstick and, you know, a variety of other different things. So yeah, it, it, it's close enough for, for government work as they say. Okay. Yep. Yep. She could, she could, uh, change her skin like a snake would in this movie, at least anyway. And there was a couple, you know, martial arts characters that were one guy is a good guy and maybe he's not a good guy, but he's a bad guy, but he's a good guy. And there was sword fights and bow and arrows and all this type of stuff. Actually, one of the coolest things at the end is you had seen there, there's like the there's always those ending scenes. Right. right. Um, and the ending scene in this one is kind of the big shocker because of what happened in X-Men 3. So I'll leave you to watch that. Sure. I won't spoil that one for you, but that was probably one of the better things. But the the story overall, honestly, was fun. Wasn't bad. It's a step up. Wasn't great by any stretch. Yes, yes. From what we saw with X-Men Origins and trying to develop a character 
and give the character more heart, be more grounded, get some action sequences in it, and show off something a little bit different that you didn't get in some of the other X-Men movies. Uh, I think this delivered. You didn't necessarily get all of the mutant stuff. This was really just a, an exercise in developing uh, the Wolverine character, I think. Well, it's definitely it definitely garnered uh, better better critical uh, and and uh, commercial or at least uh, consumer reaction. Uh, the director James Mangold is a director I happen to like quite a bit. It seems like he knows how to write a movie that is exactly what I will watch, um, and he has a long um, a long history. Uh, with Hugh Jackman I mean he uh the first one that I watched of his technically was Girl Interrupted which I thought was interesting uh but Kate and Leopold was the first of his that I really liked because it's kind of a chick flick but not it's funny and it's got sci-fi and it's got Hugh Jackman um and um hmm. you know Meg a Ryan yeah and Meg Ryan towards the end of her run as a popular kind of rom-com actress. Uh, but he's also done things like uh, 310 to Yuma. And he was the one that did the Logan film in 2017. Uh, I still haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari, but all I hear are good things about that film. Um, Walk the Line. I mean, things, yep. just you know, he's got, you know, a lot of really good films under his belt. Um, and the supporting cast is is really solid too um hiroyuki sonata uh, is a dude i happen to like uh quite a bit he's uh he's been in quite a few films in fact he was in avengers endgame technically uh he wasn't in it for real long <laughs> but uh you know it's uh it, he had a very prominent role but he played my favorite character in the last samurai film uh, the the, the uh, samurai Yujo. Uh he's just got that kind of intensity that he can bring, and he's got the right look, and it's, he, it's clear he knows how to do uh, uh, choreography. So I mean, that's great. Um, who were some of the people that you uh, enjoyed seeing in this? Well, so the thing about that character that you just mention i mean that, that actor that you just mentioned and all these movies that you see him in he plays that cool strong role he was in uh 47 ronin right uh also and he's like 60 <laughs> doesn't look like it at all no he doesn't the, the, yeah he, he's he he's He's pretty well, he's solid in like everything that he does. Now, the one character that was pretty prominent in the movie was let's call it Wolverine's protector, right? Um, Yukio, uh, Rila Fukushima. So she was pretty prominent in this one. Now, she's been in bits and pieces of other things. I think you see her in um, Arrow. You would recognize her in Arrow. Yes, Maybe I, would. I wouldn't, of course, because I haven't seen any of the things, but. She was a pretty fun character in this particular movie. I liked her. There was a uh, a Wolverine love interest character. Like I mentioned the Viper. Um, Famke Jansen makes a, a like a memories appearance type thing. So it's really 
honestly, it's really focused on when you look at the header for the the characters that are in here, and there's like eh, eight characters or so. It's really focused around those eight. There are bits and pieces of other people that are in it, but it's really about Wolverine, a couple people around him, the bad guy, bad guys, and that's right. about, that's really about it. Well, that makes sense. I mean, uh, if you're going to tell a story that's that's meant to kind of um expand on Wolverine, he tends not to let a lot of people around him more often than not. And the better stories are, are the ones that have fewer characters involved with his, at least the ones yep. that I've enjoyed more. Um, this half of 2013, I wanted to end with uh, uh, this particular film that we're about to get into because of what is going to be released uh, on HBO Max here coming in March. And I don't know if we're going to get to the second half of this uh, history of comic book movies uh, before that is released. Um, and uh, the film I'm talking about is Man of Steel because the director was Zack Snyder. Um, so I would like to take a moment to, uh, to kind of delve into Richard's thought process just a little bit. Because, you know, um, there's a lot going on uh, with this uh, whole Justice League uh, the the Snyder cut and uh, how um, how the original version was maybe not done so well by the director that took it over before. Um, well, Joss Whedon, obviously. Um, so, what is your thoughts on Zack Snyder's style of directing? Um. Like this movie, for example, I think you got a lot of the big picture. Now, when you watch the Justice League cartoons from 10, 12 years ago, or you watch the Superman and the Batman cartoons from 15 years ago, right? Especially Superman as a powerful character that he is. Superman just runs around and smashes stuff and it's like, Okay, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. There's there's no consequence for it. There's no vision of the greater world. And I think in this particular one, in this particular movie, and especially following it, which was the Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice, right. you've got that bigger picture in terms of, well, shoot, when they're up there smashing buildings... What's actually going on? And I think that's an interesting view of things that like, like the logistical piece of it, because you're focused on Superman battling the bad guys, but you're not focused on all the other things that happen because as a cartoon, as a fantasy, as a thing that you want to imagine, you don't want to imagine thousands of people getting smashed in the buildings and by the debris, you want to imagine he defeated the bad guys. So that aspect of it is interesting the here's this picture let's zoom at it from afar that type of stuff that that's fine uh zach snyder has always had i think his own ideas in terms of the presentation on things and maybe they're not the presentation that we want to see of things right you know the the the, the dc world <clears throat> has such a potential to be so cool and it's 
if you watch a lot of the animated movies and the TV shows, those are the fun interpretation of things. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, DC is so dark and brooding and we need to make it. But okay. If you're going to do that, at least still follow along the, the character, like still give us something with some, with some sense of something that will happen. Right. Yeah. Some connection to, to how, how it's been portrayed in the past. Yeah. And this movie is interesting. It's got some, it's got some pop to it because of the, the cast, you know, if you got Russell Crowe kind of hanging out there as a, almost a minor character, right? An important major character, but a a minor character. And it sets up the old fashioned storyline. Bad things are happening. We got to send the kid to earth and the kid gets raised. And okay. So we get a retelling of a story that's been told a thousand times. Right. Okay, fine. Cool. Um, It's almost like the Batman origin, right? The they're in the alleyway, they get robbed, the parents get shot. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we've we've seen that. Right. Well, I guess we had to see it again for this one. Okay, whatever. And then is I, I guess in setting up the power levels for Superman in the universe also, because we've discussed this before, is that Superman is like stupid powerful right oh yeah ridiculously powerful so if you're going to set this in a real world fashion how are you going to make him lose you have to have the same stupid powerful characters and that's kind of hard to do right because okay let's do metallo i think metallo is a cool character metallo is very cool um you know brainiac is a real big character hard to just put into one movie right i think um so they chose general zod okay general zod's not that fun but he's easy to do yeah right because and, and i think that's i almost think that that's what they did in this one was like well that's easy we could tell the story real easy they had a fight world blew up they reappeared again cool you know like that that's i think what we got out like of of all the characters you know in in the old school 78 superman you got lex luthor who is the so cheesy so cheesy but so much is superman's ultimate bad guy because he uses his brain power right mass test mocker and, and in this one, I don't know. I just I just felt let down because of all the characters. There's so many just cool bad guys, and you choose General Zod. I mean, for it's, real, it's an odd choice for sure. And and you're talking about uh, we were talking about uh, having to have you either have to have a, a villain that's incredibly powerful or find a way to neutralize superman's advantages in other ways and that's why lex luther when done right is such a great villain because he doesn't need to match his power level he has plans in place that superman's not going to try and go head to head against him because of the fallout that's going to occur if he does um so i mean it's just 
it it lacked some subtlety that I was hoping for, um, some nuance. But okay, so the reason I brought up the Zack Snyder thing, I, Zack Snyder is really weird for me as as a director because I've seen interviews with him and he seems super cool and he seems to love the source material. Yes, like he's enthusiastic about it, energetic. Right. And you know, I'm I look at the the stuff that he's worked on. He's worked on Dawn of the Dead, which man, when you're talking about a, a zombie movie that's a, a, a kind of a remake, um, and it got off the ground so well, and then kind of didn't end very good. Yeah, you had that intrigue at that kind of kind of before zombies became ultra cool, right? They were fun and cool right. before they became mainstream cool. Right. And then you've got like 300 and oh man, the visuals and it started really good and it ended okay. And then you've got the Watchmen, which was fairly true to the source material and had some great visuals and started really good and didn't end very good. <laughs> and it's like, I'm starting to see a, 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 a trend, a trend here where there are some interesting concepts that just don't quite work. Well, have you seen Sucker Punch? Not yet. So it's kind of the same thing. Like there's just a jumble of things and the, it's all a bunch of, you know, women who are the, the heroines, the bad guys, the good guys, like all these types of things, you know? Um, and you're like, there's going to be action and there's girls kicking butt. And then it's just like, cool you know it, it's it's one of those movies when i saw it i was like i was excited to see it then when i watched it it was just like okay fine whatever you know no no interest to go back and really watch it again right because of the like you said the source material looks solid like this look okay let's give these let's 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 kick some butt here and then it's just like eh, okay and that's you don't deliver he and that's just kind of, and i have to reiterate this is an impression. This is not an actual description of talent or quality. This is just how it appears to me. And Zack Snyder often is just, it, it, it just misses just slightly the mark where I want it to hit in, in most of the movies that he makes. And that's why I brought up the whole Justice League thing. It's like, well, it's, it's all Joss Whedon's fault. Well, is it really? I'm not certain that it was. I mean, it's always bad when one, well, it's not always bad, but it's usually bad when one director takes over from another because you've got a change in directorial styles and vision and, you know, you've got to redo some things. So I'm sure that didn't help. But looking at what Joss Whedon did with the Avengers and with uh, some of the other, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the original Buffy series as well as Angel, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's what it is. And so when they re-release this Justice League, I'm not certain it's going to be what people think that it's going to be. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to watch it for sure because I'm curious and I'm hoping it's better because that original one was not great. Um, but and I, and I also have to clarify, I know there's a lot of backlash against Joss Whedon right now with some things coming out in the news and I'm not going to delve into that one way or the other just because I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. All I know is you've got people on one side that I like accusing people on the other side that I like <laughs> of doing things or, or maybe rephrase people whose work I respect 
uh, accusing other people whose work I respect of things that I could not be party to. And I'm just going to go with, I know what the work came out like, and I appreciate the work, and I'm going to leave all that other stuff uh, to, to kind of sift out. If it comes out to be true that Joss is really what he is being shown to be, well, then there definitely need to be consequences. But just judging from the work itself. Just the work, yeah. Just, and yeah. In this, in this movie... It's not like this movie is bad, right? It's just that it's not as good as we want it to be. Now, I, I'm I'm not really a huge Superman fan because of those he's so stupid powerful, right? But I do like Superman because he's got cool bad guys. Right. And if you're going to have cool bad guys, especially bad guys like Brainiac that is also just ridiculously powerful or if you're going to do dark side the right way who is going to be the person that's going to be able to stand up to those guys well it's got to be superman right pretty much but the 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 character itself is like are, are you going to play him as the clark kent character who is also Superman? Are you going to play the Superman character, who happens to also be Clark Kent? There's that aspect of it as well, right? We it's not like we got the dopey Clark Kent. No, right? no, the definitely bumbly, not. Bumbly one. We got like the the hard hitting. I'm I, I'm I'm not from Smallville. Like you know, I I want to do these articles and type. Like it, it's like a like a real reporter. Yeah. in a dying media but I, like i'm a real reporter so you, you got a different aspect of it that way and i think the the thing about how Zack snyder presents these movies 300 and sucker punch are a good thing because of how sepia toned they are right? yeah yeah they just have a different look because they have a different tone to them and when did joss whedon put a sepia tone in anything like no. it, that that never happened when you did the Avengers movies, the Marvel universe wasn't set up to be dark and brooding. It was set up to be fun and lively yeah, with some serious undertones. Right. And I think you, you just tried to, this was just, this was just a DC grab when they did justice league right. to get someone in. Now we're not talking about justice. League. we need to focus on the Superman movie. We'll, we'll get back to that later. Um, but I think in this particular movie, they presented Superman as pretty powerful, you know, chucking around trains and stuff like that. And it's interesting that General Zod and his lackeys uh, became so cognizant of their powers and controlled them so quickly. If they focused on them discovering these powers like the laser like the eye beams and then the and the vision and the hearing and the sensory overload all those types of things and they seem to master it pretty darn quickly where superman's been living in the world for however many years and was able to adapt to it and control it and understand it uh, but then again it was three on one yeah that really so, should have been what it was i know how to use my powers better and I have more because I've been absorbing energy for years. You just got here. 
Uh, so, yeah, it should have just been you're a better fighter and you have numbers, but I have more sheer power and I'm eventually going to win. That is literally all it should have been. It should never have come to the point of, oh, I've got to break his neck. That was one of the things in that that annoyed me so much. And a lot of the conversation went to there were people on the side like, that's not how Superman acts. Well, that's not entirely accurate. It's mostly accurate. He avoids doing damage as much as possible, but it's not like he hasn't killed before. And then there are the people it's like, well, this is the, you know, this is the, the live action universe. It's supposed to be darker. No, that I, I'm not going with that either. It's, you got to stay true to the character. And I, I, I feel that there were some missteps in the development of the character in this film. Uh, the whole thing with the tornado and Pa Kent, that was just dumb. Um, it made no sense in terms of, in terms of plot or, or anything. Um, it, 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 there were just a few things that just annoyed me to, to no end about that. Henry Cavill's casting was great. I think he uh, visually is, is a great choice for Superman. And there are a lot of great things that were in it. They used a Chris Cornell song as, uh, as, uh, Clark gets into, uh, one of the, one of the towns, I don't know, he swims there, whatever. I don't know what it is, but uh, they play a Chris Cornell song. I was like, ah, oh, that's one of my favorite songs. Why did you put it in this film? <laughs> uh. Yeah, and, and when... I, I, th- I think the reason that they did the snap the neck, I'll go back to it, it was weak because it was easy. Yeah. Like they had a whole thing. Like, so how are we going to develop the doomsday character? Like, how are we going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just a, it was clever because they were thinking f- films ahead, but it was just a cop out. Right? right. It was an easy way to get to the next thing that they wanted to do. It wasn't a clever way to do it. It was a, it was just a cop out. You know, if you're going to do general Zod, why don't you have the phantom zone? Cause isn't that where he always ends up? Doesn't Superman always put him in the phantom zone? Happens a lot. Because he doesn't kill him. He imprisons him in a place that he's never going to get out of, but he always tends to get out of. So having something like the phantom zone would be hard to set up as well. Yeah. I get it. Uh, So in real world terms, if you subdue him, where are you going to hold him as a prisoner? Right. Well, that just shows that you were right that this character shouldn't have been in the first film in the first place. Uh, you, yes. need, you need some time to set this character up just a little bit. I really like the choice of Lawrence Fishburne as uh, Perry White put him in as many films as you want to put him in because he's awesome and everything. Yep. I love For seeing sure. uh, Christopher Maloney in this. Uh, he's got some great personality. Um, and I really wish the uh, TV show that he was in um, that was based on a comic uh, would have lasted just a little bit longer. I mean, it got a couple of seasons, but uh, I don't know if you saw any of it. Um, but uh, it's, it was called Happy. It uh, it had him and Pat Oswalt doing the voice of a, of an imaginary friend. It's it's so good. <laughs> yes, I I've not seen it, but I am definitely familiar with what you're talking about. But he's he's been in a lot of comic book stuff. I mean, he's doing uh, voice for the Max Television series based on an Image comic. He's in the does the voice of Commissioner Gordon for the Harley Quinn TV series. 
I mean, it's just, he's all over the place. Uh, so seeing him in that was just too much fun. Um, so. Yes, more military figures. And then the there's the the other thing about this too is it develops some of those like secondary characters and, and the, the the general Swanwick character. There's speculation that that's actually the Martian Manhunter, and we will see him in the new Justice League Zack Snyder edition, which would be fine. So <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, it. We'll we'll get I think more into that if we get a chance to talk about it. But since we're talking about it because it's going to come out shortly after we put this podcast out, yeah. and it has a relationship to this movie, I think the I think the Zack Snyder vision will be a better movie. That doesn't make it a great movie. Doesn't make it a good movie. I think it fits the elements of what he was trying to do better, considering what Joss Whedon had put into the movie. So in that aspect. It'll come out a better movie. Doesn't mean it will be a good movie or will make the 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 DC universe a better universe. Because it's already jacked up anyway. Oh yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty messed up. But I do I am anticipating watching it. I do want to sit down and watch it for three hours, however long it's going to be. Just because I think it'll be a different it will be a not a completely different movie, but a largely different movie, a different retelling of a bad movie, you know? So if you can take it from an F to a D, it's <laughs> an improvement. Then you've come out ahead. I was so, going to say that, be. that, that right there is, uh, is, is kind of what I'm expecting. Zack Snyder is always like a solid C in, in most of the movies that he does for me. I mean, they don't greatly disappoint me, but they also, they disappoint me because they could have been awesome and they didn't quite get there. Um, Just a tease. Yeah. Oh, Julian Richings also had a part in this as Lorem, one of the uh, one of the Kryptonians. He played uh, Death on the uh, Supernatural television show. That was kind of a fun uh, little thing. And of course, Michael Kelly was in it, and that that guy is a gem. He's great in pretty much everything. He was the uh, whole reason I watched House of Cards. Uh, his his role as Doug Stamper in that was just phenomenal. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, just, I mean, this, they could not have done much better with the casting on this film. Uh, the the, the ambient feeling, solid. It's just there were some, some writing choices that made no sense and just set things up wrong. Yep, and... This was supposed to be the kickoff for the DC Extended Universe, right? So this set up all of their future movies. This set up all their everything. And then they threw all their... Why they even did a Justice League movie? It was too sad. When you had a, a Superman character and that was it. I just... Trying too hard DC and you failed. Well, they maybe they felt pressured that they they were slow to get this going in the sense that Marvel had been building for a while and now it was there. And if they did the same thing, if they tried to build it the same way, it would take them a similar amount of time to be able to get to the point to do the Justice League. But we want our money now. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to wait. We want to compete. This- just weren't patient enough and 
you know, say what you want about Kevin Feige and his his vision of things and his overlook of things, but it's been successful. And, yeah. and maybe DC just doesn't have that type of overboss, let's call it. Yeah. And there's there's no denying ten years in the future. Yeah, there's no denying that there's a certain. Some people say that every Marvel movie has the exact same plot, exact same formula, which is clearly not true and demonstrably false. Um, is there going to be similarity and shared themes and some similar quirks? Yes, absolutely. And certain rules that you do not break in those films. But like you were saying, it works. Why Why would you take something and and then try and make it but... Well, we have to be different because we have to be different. No, take what works and apply your, you know, a little bit of a spin to it, enough to make it different, and you'll be fine. Uh, and you know, it's a different end of the spectrum. One side or in the middle, you got Marvel. One side, you got DC. On the other, you have Captain Battle. <laughs> yes, Captain Battle. Oh my gosh. I think we need to just revert to Captain Battle and go from there. Oh, no. Captain not... Battle. The, um, oh, the black, was it Black Bat? <laughs> yeah. is obviously, the, so this we're, we're more looking at Black Bat and yeah. the Avenging Force. Oh, man. These similarities. Oh, too much fun. Well, what do you think, dear listeners? Uh, you should definitely let us know on social media. Were we just absolutely wrong about The Man of Steel? Is it the best movie ever? Is Zack Snyder a director that can do no wrong? And we clearly need uh, to relook at our uh, interpretations of things. Or are you on board? Maybe we didn't go far enough. We would love to hear what you have to say. Reach out to us. Uh, we will respond, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> depending upon time <laughs> yes we will yes we will but uh, until next time keep watching the movies keep enjoying it celebrate the successes celebrate the failures because inevitably as we have said many times before creating these films is such a feat even if it doesn't go exactly the way that you hope it's a major accomplishment and it's an attempt to give us something great to enjoy 